We'll be back in the book of James again this morning, so if I could ask you to join me in James chapter 5, and if you have a piece of paper, you can drop that into 2 Peter chapter 3. James chapter 5 will be our text for this morning, and 2 Peter 3, we will arrive there as we get closer to the end of the sermon. Uh, James chapter 5, I want to apologize as we start off, because I've been telling you all along that James gives us ten tests, and I was on test number nine last week, which would have meant that this week would have been test number ten. However, as I studied the passage for this week, I found there's two more tests. So we have test number 11 and 12 coming next week and the following week. I had planned to preach verses 7 to 12 today. However, verse 12 does not fit in verses 7 to 11. So verse 12 will be its own standalone next week. And then verses 13 and following will be the following week. And so today we will spend our time in James chapter 5, verses 7 down to verse 11. James has a theme that's going all throughout this book, and his theme is examine your faith. I've been telling you that he's got 10 tests, but really it's 12. He's got 12 different tests, ways that you can see, am I a true believer? And he has, when he has this theme, examine your faith, he also has a tone that's going along with it. And the tone is this. A true believer will act a certain way. There should be a difference in your life. If you're a true believer this morning, you should be acting differently. We've said this before. I'll just repeat it again this morning. That James is not telling us how you become a believer. He's telling us how you act as a believer. Paul did that in our trip through Romans. We were Romans chapter 1 through 11. This is how you get saved. This is how you find, how you become right with God. It's not through your righteousness. It's by trusting in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he comes into chapter 12 and he goes, this is how a believer should live. And he spends the rest of the book that way. Paul did it. James did it. This is not a new thing. If you're a believer today, you're a true believer, there's a way you should be acting. And that's the way that we come into today's passage. I want to start in verse 7, but because of a word in verse 7, I'll have to back into verse 6 in just a moment. Let me point out the word. This is verse 7, James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. The word therefore means that it's directly tied to the passage before it. We've said this before. If you see the word therefore, it's good to stop and see what it's there for. So the word therefore ties verse 7 back to verse 6. And verse 6, if you remember verse 6 from last week, uh, that was a condemnation on the rich men. You remember that from last week, verses 1 to 6. He starts off in verse 1, you rich men, you will howl and you will weep because your riches will fail you. You've put your trust in your riches. And the man who puts his trust in his riches, the man who makes money his God. Matthew 6.24, no man can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The man who makes God his, his money into his God, that man will do everything he can to hold on to his God. And he will cry when he loses his God. And he will look for ways to hold on to his God. And those people that are around him will see his money as a 
the words of James 1 verses, uh, James 5 verses 2 and 3, will see it as a canker and as a rust. His gold and his silver will rot and it will eat his flesh like a fire. That's verse 3. And so here you have the rich men, verses 1 to 6, and the rich men who love their money, will hold to their money, will push away anybody else they need to, step on those who they need to, and then in verse 6, it leaves us with the idea they condemn and murder the just, and the just man does not speak out about it. That's where we left off with verse 6 last week. So therefore, verse 7b, patient. Verse 1 to 6, when he says you, he's talking to the rich men who have made money into their God. Verse 7, when he says you, he's talking about the true believer who endures this tribulation and this persecution from the rich man. I think it's worth noting here, verse 6 shows what happens when a man allows God, his God to be money Where will his heart go? His heart will go all the way to the point where if he needs to, he will take good people to court and he will even kill some. Be careful. And the end of verse 6 is a condemnation and it lets us see what God will do to a man. Remember verse 5? As in the day of slaughter. Fatten you up like a pig. And God will allow that man to go all the way to the point where he has given himself over to his sin. And God will not stop that. Let that sin completely devour him. And when he comes all the way to the point of murdering a good person, that good person does not even speak out. In other words, at the last worst moment of that rich man's life, he never even gets a word of warning from the person he's destroyed. What a terrifying thought. So then the words that come to us in verse 7, be patient there. If you find yourself as the just person, the good person that's being persecuted, whether it's for any reason, and in this passage specifically, because there's some rich person trampling over you, you're a true believer, what do you do? Be patient. God's at work, and you have no idea what's going on. So just be patient. So that's the spirit within which we come into verse number 7, and we can see this. God is going to use that man's sin to condemn him. I think of David. You remember King David? David at probably, if you think with me, What was the worst sinful moment that you can think of for David was when he took another man's wife. You remember that? I think the best picture and explanation of this comes when the prophet Nathan comes to talk to David. The prophet Nathan comes to talk to David and he gives a parable. He said there was a rich man who had many sheep. And yet, when that rich man had a friend come to visit, instead of killing one of his own sheep, the rich man reached across the fence and took the little lamb from his neighbor's house. If you remember the story, that neighbor had only one lamb and all of the children in the family loved that one lamb and yet the rich man reached across and took that one lamb and brought it to himself, slaughtered that lamb and consumed it upon his own lust, we might say. 
And this is the condemnation upon David. You remember what Nathan said, thou art the man. David, you had plenty of women to choose from. You had multiplicity of wives. And yet you took another man's wife. And what did you do in the midst of it, David? You killed his, her husband. You see what will happen when your heart is given over to your sin? And we find David in remorse for this. And yes, God forgives sin. But my goodness, watch the rest of David's life. The rest of David's life is turmoil after turmoil. And I don't think it is a mistake at all that when David is on his deathbed, one of his sons tries to take his kingdom. And you know how he does it? By trying to take one of David's lambs. Oh, this is a terrifying thought, friend. God might just give you over to your sin. And when He gives you over to your sin, the end of it will be places you never thought you could ever go. So, a true believer is going to go, no, wait, my life's going to be different. I'm going to be changed because the gospel... And and you go, but wait, I just still have these trials and these temptations. Be reminded of the words of Romans chapter 6. You do not have to give this body over to a sinful way because this body belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can give your body over to the Lord Jesus. He can make a difference for you. Now let's come into verse number 7. I've got three points as I walk through verses 7 to 11. Uh, I see verse number 7. I'll read it and then I'll give you the point. Here's verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandmen waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Uh, So point number one is just simply be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. The word patient, uh, be long-suffering, be long-spirited. That's the meaning of the word patient. In fact, it's the same word translated in 1 Corinthians 13 for charity suffereth long. You are with love. You're going through this trial and you're doing it for a long time. Remember the long-suffering character of God Almighty. Be patient, He says. Be patient. Endure patiently the oppression within this context, the rich man who will drag you to court and might even murder you. And so, brothers and sisters, I'll say it again like I did last week. Stop thinking that Christianity is karma. It's not. The words that we see from the Lord Jesus, if they mocked the Lord Jesus, how much more will they mock you also, His followers? Think of the life of the Apostle Paul after serving the Lord Jesus for 30 years. What was he left with at the end of his life? Imprisonment and his head cut off. And you look at Peter, Jesus prophesied this while he was still uh, on the earth. He prophesied to Peter. He said, Peter, the day will come when they, there will be men who will lead you in chains to places you don't want to go. But wait a second, Lord, I'm Peter. I'm getting the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to build the church for you. Off you go. And you see it with... Jesus Himself, who having lived a perfect, sinless life, went to the cross. You see, there's no promise of you do good and good things happen and you do bad and bad things happen. There's no promise of that. 
2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 makes it very clear. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We have been blessed, brethren. We have been blessed mightily that we live in a place and in a time where we do not put up with persecution like they have in the past and like they do in other places. We have been blessed. Do not think that this is the norm. And friend, I do not invite or ask for persecution to come upon us. That's not my secret prayer. But it is a fact that if you live your life thinking that karma is the way that God works, you will be sadly disappointed when something goes wrong in your life. Instead, be reminded that God has given us a promise that He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. And everything that comes about in our life comes through His perfect will and through His sovereign hand. He is in control of all things. So rest in Him. And we can be patient. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. You see that in verse number 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. The day will come when He will return. And I promise you, He has not returned yet. So how do you know that He hasn't returned? Because if He has, if he has returned, and this is all there is to look forward to, we are of all men most miserable. This is awful. If this is what all there is to look forward to, it's got to get a whole lot better, friend, and He's promised that it will get a whole lot better. And I look forward to the day that He returns. Now, how do we wait? Look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And this is how you wait. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Now, if you have some background from some other outside church influences, when you hear the words early and latter rain, your mind might go to some places that I'll tell you biblically you should not go. There are prosperity preachers who speak a lot about the latter rains. I line them up also with karma mentality, for they're the ones who would say, if you do the right things and pray the right prayers, then God will pour out the blessings of heaven upon you in the latter rains. Those are the exact phrases that they use. In fact, this week I thought, I, I tended to remember some of this type of teaching, so I went back and listened to some sermons from prosperity preachers to see exactly how is it that they use this. And my goodness, not only... Are they using the Scriptures incorrectly? I would say that they're even using them ignorantly uh, because, friend, they, uh, they make some statements that just aren't true. Uh, one of the statements that they use frequently would be something like, they say things like, uh, in Israel there are two rains every year. They say there's the early rain and the latter rain. I say that's ignorant because a quick, a quick Google search will tell you that it rains for five months out of the year, every year in Israel, very similar to the way it does here. And the early rain just happens to be the beginning of it, and the latter rain just happens to be the end of it, and the strongest rain comes in the middle. What we have been experiencing the last week is early rain. We're not quite into the wet season. We might still experience several weeks of dry season before we get to the real wet season. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because the winds haven't shifted yet. 
Some of you look at me like, what are you talking about, Pastor? Don't listen to people that tell you, oh, we have giant climate change right now, and look, the, giant ra- the rains came right now, and look, we all got... No, wait, wait, wait. There are bigger things going on, okay? Every year, around late November, early December, the winds change direction. The older people are nodding their head at me here right now. They're going, that's right, Pastor, it happens every year. I noticed it the second year I lived here. And then I started paying, t- paying attention to it. You watch, the winds will shift 180 degrees, and within 24 hours, the rains are here. It happens every year. Right now, the winds are coming out of the east. And when the wind shifts, it comes out of the west. When the wind comes out of the west, it's wet season. You can mark it down. And it will be wet season until the wind shifts, and when the wind comes back out of the east, it's dry season. It's easy to see that here, okay? Israel experiences a very similar thing. They have a wet season and a dry season. Their dry season is seven months. Their wet season is five months. Usually around November until March is their wet season. That's very similar for us. And you cannot say, even within our setting, you cannot say agriculture is built on the early rain and the late rain. It doesn't work that way. Agriculture is built around the wet season. And so when somebody stands and says, you just need to pray for the latter rain, the latter rain literally is the last rains of the wet season. You needed the whole wet season in order to have growth in your garden, friend. And so somebody that says something like, just pray for the latter rain to fall upon you, is someone that does not have an understanding of how things work in meteorology, in Israel, and they're misusing a phrase from the Scriptures. I'm going to take just a minute and show you some of them so that you'll have a better understanding. You say, Pastor, why do you do this? Because I don't want you to be fooled by people that make a couple of quick statements, and then all of a sudden, you're running down a path looking for something that isn't there. So let me give you a couple of verses. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 11. This is Moses rehearsing the law of God to his people. And this is what he said, The land whither you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven. Remember that when Moses made this statement in Deuteronomy, the people were not yet into the promised land. They were still wandering on the Sinai Peninsula, gathering manna daily, following the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. Moses himself does not go into the promised land, but yet he gives this this word from the Lord. He says, you're going to go into that land, and when you go into that land, you are going to go to a land that drinks water from the rain of heaven. Now let me add some depth to this. There was a statement made by a Jewish rabbi who said this. He said, God did not choose Egypt with her Nile River, and He did not choose Assyria with her great Euphrates, but He chose Israel to be His people because they would be forced to look up to Him for water from heaven. So what you've got there is the Nile gives its sustenance to the people of Egypt. The Euphrates gave its sustenance to the people of Assyria, but Israel gets no big river. They're stuck there. They need water to fall from heaven. Do you realize what God has done? He puts them in a position where they are completely dependent on Him. 
Moses called it. He said, I'm, God is bringing you to a land of hills and valleys that drink water from heaven. And then he follows it. Here's what he says in verse 13, just two verses later. It shall come to pass, if he, you shall hearken diligently unto the commandments which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in His due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. In other words, Israel, do you want your crops to grow right? Live right. And I, God, promise to my people Israel that I will give the rain upon your land, Israel. Be careful, church. Be careful that promise is to Israel, not to you and I. We are Gentiles, and I'll explain this in a minute, we are not within that promise. This promise is given to Israel. God said, you're going into this land of hills and valleys that depends on water from the sky, and if you will do right, I will send the rain. And I'll send it in the early rain to the latter rain. You'll receive a whole full season of rain. And those of you that plant things, I'm getting older and I start to plant things more as I get older. Didn't used to care about planting stuff. Now all of a sudden it's got my interest. And those of you that plant things know that it's very important to get a full season of rain. Because if you do like I did just a couple of years ago and you plant your watermelons and the vines are starting to really grow and then it goes to a deep dry season, you can forget about harvesting anything. They'll shrivel up on the vine and die. You need a full season of rain. And that's what he says, I'll give you the early and I'll give you the latter rain. You'll get the full season of rain. He says it a different way in Leviticus 26. I'll read it for you. This is Leviticus 26, verses 3 and 4. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Again, this does not apply to you and me. There are those who will say things like, look at Zechariah 10.1 where it says, pray to the Lord for the rain, the latter rain in the time of rain. Pray, for the, pray to the Lord for the latter rain. It's a condemnation upon the people of Israel because they were praying to their idols instead of praying to God. God had given them a promise. If you'll follow me, I'll give you rain. So, Instead of praying to your worthless, dumb, book of Psalms, dumb idols, instead, pray to me. The words of Zechariah 10. And yet those prosperity preachers will tell you things like, look at Deuteronomy, 26, uh, Deuteronomy 11 and Leviticus 26 and 1 Chronicles 7 verse 14, and, and they will say things like, if you will just pray to the Father, He will bless your crops. And that is not the promise that's given. These promises are given to Israel. You would never in your right mind say that person promised that person something, therefore it's mine too. That's stupidity. You never look at somebody's promise to someone else and say, well, now that promise also give, is given to me. You know, God gave some other promises to Israel and you would never think to take them to yourself. 
one of those promises God promised. God promised that he would have a descendant of David would be the one that would sit upon the throne. Why would you ever try to insert yourself into David's place? And thankfully, I've never heard anybody doing that. But for some reason, we think that we can, by karma, say, well, I follow Jesus, so now He's going to make my crops to grow. No, the promise was to Israel that He would send rain when they followed Him, and He would stop rain when... You know what we get as Gentiles? Here's what we get. We get Matthew 5. Here's Matthew 5, verses 44 and verse 45. But I say unto you, this is Jesus, I say unto you, love your enemy. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Pause. If you follow the karma mentality, prosperity preaching way of, go- of thinking, you would think that the next verse would say, if you love your enemies and bless them that curse you, God will send rain upon your crops. That's what you would think it would say. But that's not what he says. Here's what he says in verse 45. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Those of us who are not the people of Israel, what do we get? We get rain when we try to go to the beach. And we plant our crops, and sometimes it doesn't rain. We have no promise uh, concerning rain. What did God say? I'm going to send rain upon anybody. They'll be good, they'll be bad. I'll make the sun rise on good, on the bad. Do you realize that God continues to make the sun rise upon our wicked city day after day? When our people don't follow Him, He continues to send us rain in its season. We don't deserve that, friend. That's called the grace of God. And so we're careful to look at a word in the middle of a sentence and say, latter rain, he must be talking about the blessings upon our life. That's not what he's talking about at all. So when I come back into James chapter 5 and verse 7, what is he talking about? Well, look at it with me again in James chapter 5 and verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren. Be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, here's the example. The husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. So here's what's happening. The farmer plants his crops and then he patiently waits. And you and I, as faithful, true believers, we do what's right and then what do we do? We faithfully wait. We patiently wait for the Lord's coming. I wish that I could say, You do right and good things happen, but that's not what He's promised. He said, just patiently wait for the coming of the Lord. Oh, know that when the Lord comes, He'll make all things right. I look forward to that day, but patiently wait. Just like the farmer waits for his crops to yield fruit, and he patiently waits for the rain. You realize that he cannot make the rain come any faster? What's he left to do? Wait. He does what he's supposed to do. Till the ground, plant the seeds, and wait. What are you and I supposed to do? Till the ground, plant the seeds, and patiently wait.
You do what you're supposed to do. And when something goes wrong, you don't get upset about it and say, well, I'm done following Jesus now. You see, a farmer can do that as well. The farmer can plant the seeds, and then he can watch as the plants begin to grow, but then he sees, wait, there's no rain, and there's been no rain for the last couple of weeks. Probably all my crops are going to die. He has no idea what's been happening underneath the ground with the roots. He has no idea. Not paying attention, doesn't see that. But in his frustration, he could go and he could plow all of those plants right back into the ground to say, next year you're fertilizer. And the day after he does that and the rain comes, he looks awful foolish. And you realize how many people say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ, and something goes wrong, and they blame God, and they say, God's the one that caused this to happen, and this is the reason why I'm just done with God. He said that he, he would give me blessings if I followed Him, and He never gave me blessings, so I'm done. And you know what they're doing? They're plowing under the crops. Wait patient unto the coming of the Lord, like a farmer. The rain will come. Just be patient. That brings us into the second point. I see the second point in verse number 8. Simply be patient and settle your heart. Here's the words of verse 8. Be also patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I, I hope you pick up a theme already. Being patient. The, the word patience shows up four times in five verses here. Uh, be patient. Be patient and settle your heart. Uh, he speaks of this patience and settling your heart. Root your heart. Don't let your heart waver. Don't, don't be impatient. Impatient is, I'm going to do this one, and I'm going to do this one. No, I'm going to settle my heart because I know that He's going to come. I'm going to settle it. If I were to use the analogy of a ship. If your heart is a ship, drop anchor. If your heart is like a plant, put your roots down. Settle. Firm up your foundation. Hold on. Winds will blow. Problems will come. But settle yourself. Be patient and settle your heart. Be patient with a settled heart. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. These are his dying words. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Problems come in my life, is what he says. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. I am settled. I am not going to be blown around. And even though I am facing death, and I'm in prison, I'm settled. I know that He's in charge. I can trust Him. So then why? Why be patient? So look closely at verse 8 and you'll see the why. Here it is. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for. That's the why. Because. For the coming of the Lord draws nigh. So why are we being patient? Because the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Can I remind you that He promised that He would return? It's been 2,000 years, friend. But He promised that He would return. And I want you to think through why it is that He would return. Oh, you and I were separated from God in our sin. He is infinitely holy and you and I, born in our sin, continuing to sin, 
our sin just causes His wrath to heap up. But God in His love sent the Lord Jesus to the cross to take our sin. Jesus went to the cross and shed His blood. In the greatest exchange that ever could be, He took our sin upon Himself and He gives us His righteousness. He declares us righteous in Him. That's justification. He has declared us to be as righteous as Christ when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus. And we become His. I am, Romans words, I'm in Christ. I'm His. And He promised, John chapter 14, He promised that He would go to heaven and He would prepare a place for us. Oh, I hope you remember the words, John 14 verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll receive you unto Myself that where I am, there you may be also. Oh friend, He looks forward to the day that we will be with Him forever. And oh, by the way, a part of us being with Him clears out the road for the wrath of God to be unleashed upon all the sin of the world. And this whole world groans, according to Romans chapter 8. The creation groans longing for the day when all of things will be made right. Can you just imagine? Can you imagine as the earth groans. The earth was created perfectly. And sin entered in. And thorns are the manifestation of that sin in the world. And this world feels it. This world longs for the day when God will make all things new. He will take this world and He will make it new. But before that happens, He will bring His own unto Him. And it will happen just like 1 Thessalonians 4 says. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Can you just imagine what that will be like? Oh, the trump of God. In the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, He'll come as a thief in the night. You were not expecting it. There will not be a handwritten note, oh, by the way, I'll be there tomorrow. No, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. The trumpet will sound and He will come to the clouds and they who are gone before us, asleep in Christ, will rise first and they will go up to the clouds to be with Him. And then we, verse 17, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't have it up here, but verse 18 says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. That's comforting. Because the day is coming when He will take us to be with Him. And I don't know if that will happen today, or this week, or 500 years from now, I don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. And some people would say it's been 2,000 years and they might mock. Hold your place here in James 5. He makes mention of this in 2 Peter chapter 3. And some will scoff and they will say, where is His returning? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, 
Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I will not for a moment today. I will not venture to step out and try to tell you that the events that are happening in the world are prophetic and that they are lining up with the return of Christ. For I have no idea Events that have happened in the last week have happened multiple times in history. So I can't tell you with any authority that this is the one. I don't know. But I do know that He promised He would return. And Peter tells us that there will be those who will scoff and they will mock and they will say, how in the world can you ever believe that Jesus would actually return? Things have been happening the same way for thousands of years. But I want you to remember that God doesn't count time the same way you and I count time. Come down to verse number 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. God doesn't count time the same way you and I do. You might say 2,000 years, but in His economy, in His chronology, it's only been two days. And when he says, I will return soon, two days is no long blood time. But instead, you should be thankful that he has been delaying his coming. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. You might think he's slack, but he's not been slack. He is instead, he's long-suffering. Same word for patient. He's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus didn't decide to come back the day before you put your trust in Him? His delay has been your, His mercy upon you. His grace has been bestowed upon you and that He gave the space for repentance. And so He has promised, you can mark it down, be patient, be settled in your heart, He'll return. He promised, He always keeps His promise. So we've seen to be patient under the coming of the Lord. We've seen that we need to be patient and settle your heart. Now look at, with me at James chapter 5 and verse 9. We'll see the third one. The third one is, be patient with your words toward one another. Verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. We tend to be the shortest with those whom we are the closest. We do that within our families. Husbands and wives tend to be the shortest with each other because they're the closest with each other and they just expect. I can say it this way and they'll understand. We tend to be the shortest. We tend to be short with our children. And if we're honest this morning within a church body, if we're not careful, we'll be short with one another. And he says, don't do that. Be patient. Can you just think with me for just a moment? If you're going to be patient according to his command, and you're going to be patient, and you're going to settle your heart against 
the onslaught of those from the outside that might persecute you, how much more should you be patient with the brothers and sisters who, like you, have been washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus? The family of God, your covenant community, you should be patient with them. And so he says in verse 9, Grudge not one against another, lest you be condemned. Certainly it doesn't happen in our church, but maybe at some churches, brothers and sisters might tend to be short with one another. Maybe they might say things like, it's just too cold in the auditorium. Don't they know? It's blowing right on me right now. If it is, I'm sorry. Don't they know? My kid's going to get coos. Don't they know there's not enough space in the bus? They need to get another driver. Not me, I'm too busy. They need to get another driver so we don't have to squeeze in so tight. And that music style, I mean, come on. Can't we sing some more new songs? Or maybe, I hate those new songs. I wish we could just sing old songs. That preacher, he preaches for way too long. Can't he just keep it to 20 minutes and let us go? Or maybe this one. I voted for, and I picked a name that we don't have in the church. I I voted for Brother Anthony to be a deacon. Can't other people vote for him too? He'd be a good one. Or this one, and I think this just cuts really deep. I thought that guy was a Christian. Look at how he acted. Be careful with your words, brother. Be careful. Be patient with your words towards one another. And he adds some depth to this. He doesn't just say, be patient. He says, don't grudge one against another. For, remember earlier, when you see the word for, there's a reason. So here's the reason. Verse 9. Brethren, lest ye be condemned, behold, the judge standeth before the door. So why don't you grudge? And why don't you complain? And why do you need to be patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because the judge is standing at the door. You're not the judge. The judge is standing at the door. And when I first began to meditate on this, I thought of it in a way with my dad. And I remember being the oldest of four boys, it was my responsibility to make sure that those other three stayed in line. You know, sometimes they would do things they weren't supposed to, and I'm the oldest. I know best. I should keep them in line. I felt like, you know, I'm the judge. And there were times when we might be in our bedroom and I would be given one, this is what you're supposed to do, and don't you do this anymore, and I've been watching you, and you're... And then I had no idea, and I turn around and I look, and Dad's standing up against the doorway just watching the whole time. I oh, shame, I'll get a... (laughs) And when I first began to meditate on this verse, that's the way I thought of this. I thought... Don't complain against each other because the judge is at the door. But then as I began to think deeper about the fact that this is the judge of the universe, he's not merely standing at the door. As in, in the doorframe watching you like you're a little boy. No, this is the judge of the universe. Think of a courtroom setting and the judge in his regal robes about to enter into the royal courtroom. And the judge 
is standing at the door, and I just imagine before he comes to his bench, there's his double doors, and he's about to enter into the courtroom. The judge is standing at the door. You better not be standing in here pointing your finger at somebody else saying, look at you, and you dress so funny today. For that judge will come through the door. You don't want to be caught condemning somebody else. Make it work for me, huh? Oh my goodness. Be careful. For the judge stands at the door. Be patient with your words towards one another. And he'll close with two verses and two examples for us. Be patient, brethren. Be patient. Two examples. Verse 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of peace, Behold, we count them happy which endure. So here's the first statement. Remember, patient prophets were blessed and they were well spoken of. You see the words there in verse 10 again? I'll read them again. Verse 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So take the prophets as an example, and they're an example of being patient in the midst of affliction. And so just take a moment and think of those prophets throughout the Scriptures that went through affliction. Well, Jesus' words, every single one of the prophets you persecuted. You might think of Elijah all by himself in two weeks. We'll talk about Elijah in James 5. Elijah, and you might remember Elijah all by himself, hiding out, trying to stay alive, and they're persecuting him. And then, even after fire falls from heaven and consumes the altar, and 850 Gilman prophets are all slaughtered. Still, he's afraid for his life while Jezebel is chasing him down. Which of the prophets did you not persecute? And here he goes, Elijah, prophet, he went through this. And then think of prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah. Jeremiah tossed into a deep dungeon that the mud was so thick that it came up to his waist. And they left him in there for days. He had to beg somebody, could you give me something to eat? This is a prophet. And why did he get thrown in there? Because he spoke, thus saith the Lord. Think of the prophet Jesus called John the baptizer, called him a prophet. He was the last and the greatest of the prophets. And there's John, and you remember what happened to John, thrown into prison and beheaded because he called out adultery. And yet, what's pointed out in this passage is not look at the persecution but instead, look at the way that they were blessed and they were happy and the way that we speak of them. See it in verse number 11. He makes a statement, Behold, we count them happy which endure. In other words, we look back on them and we think, look at how blessed their lives were. But in reality, they were going through persecution. But they were enduring that persecution with patience. So that when you look back on John the Baptist's life, you don't look at... Oh, look at how he got his head cut off. No, you look at, how, look at how he stood at the water Jordan and pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. What an awesome honor. And when you think of Jeremiah, you think about a guy who says, Call unto me and I will answer thee. And I'll show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And when you think of Elijah, you don't think of Elijah on the run. You think of Elijah calling fire from heaven down. This is amazing things. And we look at those guys and we go, look at what God did in their life. But the reality is they went through problems with patience. 
And he gives one more example in verse 11. You've heard of the patience of Job. And if you were here at youth camp, you definitely heard of the patience of Job. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You've seen Job, he was patient. Those trials that came upon him, they were of no fault of his own. He was upright and he eschewed evil. He hated evil. He offered offerings, sacrifices for his children in case one of them had done something wrong. And yet, the problems that came up in his life left him penniless, absolutely broke, and sitting on the side with even his wife having turned her back on him, and he's scraping the sores with broken pottery. And here's a man who's going through deep persecution, and it says here in this verse, you've heard of the patience of Job. A reminder that he sat patiently, not knowing what's to come. He had no idea what was going to happen in chapters 38, 39, 40. He has no idea. All he knows is I'm going through this and I'm not going to turn my back on God. I'm settled. I'm anchored. I'm rooted. God is going to be my refuge. Job didn't have 1 Thessalonians 4. You and I do. You and I have got the promise that He will return, so you can be patient until the return of the Lord. I look upon this passage in its entirety, and I ask, what is the point of this passage? And the point is, wait. Like God has waited. For He has patiently waited for you and I to put our trust in Him. He's patiently waited for our repentance. He's been long-suffering. So then what do we do? Wait. Patiently wait. And you see it at the end of verse 11. What did Job learn? Job learned that the Lord is very pitiful. In other words, compassionate. Cares about. And of tender mercy. You realize there's a direct tie between the Lord's patience and His mercy. He's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Therefore, He has waited for 2,000 years for His return to allow us to come to Him. You and I also need to do the very same thing. Wait patient. His tender mercy will be seen in your life. And as you wait, Show patience and mercy towards one another as well. He's not made a mistake in waiting. Your waiting will be for your good. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we can spend together in your word. I pray that we would remember this morning that the judge stands at the door. It could rain any minute. You could return any minute. The judge could walk through the door any minute for us to wait. will be worthwhile. I pray we would not turn over the crop into the ground out of frustration, burn bridges, hurt people, lift ourselves up out of frustration, but instead, Lord, I pray that we would be patient. Patient until You're coming. 
and patient with one another. Father, we thank you for your grace upon our lives. May you take your word and do its work in our hearts. In Jesus' name.